You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg, sound on with Kevin Sirilla. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Jobs Day and U.S. stocks pair losses late to end higher for the week. U.S. stocks pair losses late to end higher for the week. The latest on the coronavirus and the whipsaws in the market. We have Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, who's going to call in and break it all down for us. Plus, how is Washington going to respond to the coronavirus. How is Washington going to respond to the coronavirus in terms of President Trump as well as Capitol Hill? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Let's dive right into the market reaction. Stocks pair drop into close to close and higher for the week. I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal. Quote, U.S. stocks stage a furious rally in the final hour of trading that cut in half a route that reached 4% and left the S&P 500 higher after a tumultuous week dominated by fear the spreading coronavirus will upend global growth. The S&P 500 slid 1.7% Friday and ended the week up 0.6%. I mean, there's been so much. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster. You know, I feel like I'm back at Hershey Park, up and down. It's like a wooden roller coaster. Is it going to come off the tracks or is it going to end in an upbeat note? Gina Martin Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us on the phone. Gina, what the heck happened with the markets this week? Yeah, uh, well, I think we got to extraordinarily oversold levels last Friday, evidenced by the VIX fight to 45. Ten percent correction in five days just doesn't happen. Uh, it's only happened four other times since 1970, all in the midst of major corrective processes in stocks. So I think we got to a point of sentiment washout last Friday, and that's sentiment why we've been able washout. to stabilize a little bit. Sentiment washout, and that's why there's been this stabilizing force. You know, I'm struck by this because it, I'm I'm here in Washington. You know, earlier today I was at the Department of Labor. Uh, covering the jobs numbers for Bloomberg Television. And we'll dive into that with Maddie Dupler, who's here on Jobs Day. We'll crunch those numbers. 273,000 jobs added to the U.S. economy in the month of February, smashing the expectations, which were at about 170,000 or even 
175,000, 175,000. But investors are really anxious. There seems to be this anxiety and this uncertainty that the Trump administration's preference for going after Fed Chair Jay Powell as opposed to having any fiscal stimulus they seem anxious over that. And I'm wondering, Gina, from your vantage point, if, if what you're hearing about the base of the anxiety coming from Wall Street against Washington. Uh, I think it's a combination of factors. There is some anxiety that the U.S. is unprepared for coronavirus. And as a result, we will have uh, many, many shutdowns, supply chain disruptions, uh, maybe not as much access to testing for coronavirus as we would have liked. I mean, you, the list goes on. So there is some anxiety about that. And more importantly, those the impact of that unpreparedness on ultimately economic conditions, which is certainly the number one factor driving the markets right now is where will the economy go from here? Um, and, and I think that that's weighing on confidence. But in terms of policymakers, you know, I'm kind of 50-50. I think that the market would love to see the Fed attack the balance sheet. I happen to think that the Fed went the wrong way with rate policy and instead could have been a little more strategic in utilizing the balance sheet to backstop um, credit conditions, maybe in collaboration with the Treasury Department to set up special lending facilities or something. That certainly would soothe some of the market concerns surrounding credit conditions. And then with respect to a fiscal package, it really is about the G7 meeting um, and sort of the lack of real outcome from the G7 meeting. You know, talk is kind of cheap for the market when we're in such levels of distress. You know, I think that's such a great point. And we're going to talk about regulatory forbearance coming up and, and the chatter coming from Capitol Hill, who are trying to give a, a nod to the regulators to free up some of that liquidity. But let me get let me get back to just, and you've been so generous with your time. So this will be my final question for Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Gina, and we talked about the domestic front, but what do what is Wall Street looking for coming out of China and General yeah. Secretary Xi Jinping? Because I keep putting this question to Republicans and Democrats. I mean, the data, yeah, there's no data coming out of, of the United States on the coronavirus, but can we even trust the data coming out of China? Yeah, I think that there is a lot of skepticism on the data coming out of China, but probably your best measure in China is really what the market's doing. And interestingly, the Chinese equity market has been remarkably stable over the last week relative to domestic asset prices anyway, which have been still in this very rocky condition. But it looks like Chinese stocks made their lows some time ago and are climbing out of that. I think the market would love to see continued progress in the Chinese equity market. In coincidence, I think everyone's focused on production capacity in China and how rapidly the country's manufacturing facilities can get back up to speed to really power the world's uh, supply chain. You know, amazing. All right, great stuff. Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Thanks for joining us. Joining me now with panel for Fresh Reactions, Suzanne Lynch, Washington correspondent for the Irish Times, Maddie Dupler, Senior Fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former Coalition's Director for the House Republican Conference. Maddie, you listen to that. You listen to mm -hmm. Gina crunch the numbers on, on uh, the markets. In terms of what 
the regulators can do in order to free up uh, or calm some of the anxiety mm-hmm. from Wall Street. What are you hearing? Kevin, you, I think, hit the nail on the head when you teased out that tension between monetary policy and fiscal policy. Because yep. we saw both that kind of seesaw this week with the market reaction to Jay Powell coming out saying we're going to do a half percentage point uh, uh, rate cut. And then Congress, starting with the House on Wednesday, passing that supplemental bill. The market actually re- reacted more favorably to the passage of the supplemental bill in Congress, which is fiscal policy, than it did to the 50 basis point cut from the Fed, which is monetary policy. So the question of what it is that can have a bigger impact, I think this week was answered a little bit by that market reaction. But the question will be those next two weeks as we head into the next Federal Reserve uh, meeting at the, in uh, halfway through March, what that sentiment does, because I think Congress Congress's reach is only so limited with that supplemental package. True. I mean, and just to catch everybody up to speed, $8.3 billion worth of funding that the president signed into uh, law today uh, to free up for the coronavirus. Three billion of that is going to go for vaccination efforts and two billion is going to go for preparedness in terms of making sure there's all the equipment. There's so many questions surrounding uh, where precisely the the money's going to go and whether or not the test, there's enough tests or not. Uh, Suzanne Lynch, uh, Washington correspondent for the Irish Times, does the president feel that potentially more money might be needed? Well, this is there's a kind of a, a paradox here because the more the White House has seemed to do, the more they're admitting there is a problem, you know? So I think there's a resistance on the part of President Trump to kind of come out with some big bazooka here to do something really big in terms of a federal um, intervention of some kind. And I think the comments by Larry Kudlow today were interesting. He talked about welcoming a targeted uh, intervention and that's the key and as you're saying there it's the specifics of this where is that money going to go you know will it be for loans for small businesses the suggestions right. um, those kind of things rather than this bigger federal uh, intervention coming up we're going to talk about ways that the government might be able to step in in terms of regulatory forbearance in terms of freeing up liquidity liquidity for a lot for the financial institutions suzanne lynch stays maddie dupler stays download the bloomberg sound on podcast on apple itunes bloomberg.com or by downloading the business app on bloomberg you can also find me on radio.com you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 you're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We are going to see uh, some issues coming up from the coronavirus. I get that. But I think for the United States, this is going to be a temporary problem. Temporary problem. Coronavirus, temporary problem. That's the National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow speaking with my colleague Jonathan Farrow earlier today on Bloomberg Uh, on Bloomberg Television. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You made it to Friday. It's Friday! You made it to Friday. Maddie Dupler made it to Friday. She's here. Suzanne Lynch, Washington Correspondent for the Irish Times here. Suzanne, this is your first time on the program. It is. It's very exciting. And it's almost (laughs) St. Patrick's Day. And I hate to say this, but I feel like when it is St. Patrick's Day, you have to come back. Okay, well, that's two weeks away, less than two weeks away. But who knows? Patrick's Day parades might get cancelled over this coronavirus. Oh, Oh, wow. It's in Dublin. Yeah, Ireland has already had Spoken like a true Irish woman, just (laughs) bring it right back to reality. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Guess where they won't cancel St. Patrick's Day? Chicago. Really? New York okay, <laughs> let me tell you something. Or In Delco Philly. at Barnaby's. Listen, did you see this? Delco, where I'm from, outside of Philly, has coronavirus. No! There were two cases that were, I think, t- two cases that were reported. Let me tell you something. My cousin text chain, my family text chain, my friend's text chain 
it's it's gone from Philadelphia Eagles trade talk to <laughs> coronavirus. Really? Are people concerned? Are they blowing it off? Well, it's mixed. I've okay. got some cousins who are ones. I got. I don't. I. I really should be careful right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have no some comment. cousins who are very worried, and yeah. some cousins who are not very worried. But I also just have to give a shout out to my niece Annie, who turned two today. <gasps> Happy birthday, Annie. Happy birthday, Annie. And Today's a great day for a birthday. It's my best friend's birthday. I mean, birthday not if deal. you're in Delco and there's coronavirus. Well, well we have been told that. the kids are more immune to it. Um, I have been and told this Researchers as well. do not know exactly why. It may be because they are carrying a lot of you know cold viruses around from kindergarten, etc. But yeah, it does seem that children under 10 are pretty safe. So she's going to be fine. It's all, all right, be Annie. Happy B-Day. Hey, listen to this, though. We were talking about Cudlow in the break, mm-hmm. and we heard a little bit of him, Maddie, mm-hmm. speaking earlier. I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Let me play for you a little bit more of that interview that he had with uh, with Jonathan Farrow, where he talked about the stock market as a re- as a result of the impacts on the coronavirus and whatnot. Take a listen, and then I want to get your response. If they have the resources, long term investors should stay in the market, stock market, and they might want to buy some additional funds on the dip. <laughs> Cutlow says buy. I- and he said this this morning, earlier in a couple other interviews, too. So this is where you want Larry Kudlow to be on TV saying the economy is strong. It can withstand whatever coronavirus has to bring at it. What you don't really want is your economic advisor saying that, well, this will be short-lived. We don't think it'll be a big problem because he's not an epidemiologist, right? Like, let that stuff stay with the scientists and when you're the economics guy just talk about the fact that the fundamentals are strong we saw that with the jobs report today we saw that with a slew of data the rest of this month that the american economy is headed into something we don't know what the outcome is going to be but at least it's doing so from a point of strength i want to get to this issue this thread that has emerged over the past week over fiscal versus monetary policy because the president today also talking about monetary policy uh, as it relates to fed chair jay Powell, he had more to say about Jay Powell. Take a listen to the president as a result of what he thinks the Fed should do uh, on the coronavirus. The Fed should cut and the Fed should stimulate. And they should do that because other countries are doing it. And it puts us at a competitive disadvantage. And we have the most prime. I mean, the, the image of this. Suzanne, as he's at the, in the Oval Office signing $8.3 billion worth of economic stimulus to combat the coronavirus. And then he's saying in the same moment, yeah. come well, on, Fed. I mean, let's face it. He was number one. He's been saying this about the Fed. Well, before Forever, yeah, true. and secondly, you know, the White House had initially requested a much smaller package from Congress. More like three so bills. it's almost he was, you know, his body language there was quite interesting. It was I won't quite say he was reluctantly signing it, but he wasn't taking, you know, a, a political lap around the Oval Office. You know, it was almost like he was there with his pen, and yeah, he went straight to to um, to prompt uh, the Fed. This conversation is happening all over the world. It's not just an American. You know, this is happening in Europe. You've got got this conflict again between monetary and fiscal uh, policy and you've got this you know it's more of a problem in Europe um, within the eurozone that you've all these different economies you've got Germany which is always resistant to kind of open the purse strings here um, and you've got those internal dynamics going on within the European Union and the eurozone so they've got a whole big problem to sort out there as well um, but in a sense I think they're ahead of 
the curve in terms of saying, right, we need to get ahead of this problem because just for obvious reasons and timing, Italy has been at the centre of this. Um, but I think that argument and that debate is where this is going now in the next few weeks. But I think the European example demonstrates why negative interest rates here won't work. I mean, this has been the debate at the ECB for a long time, which is that when you're out of ammunition, yeah, what the heck go? else do yeah. you do? And particularly when you're the United States, you're the reserve currency of the world, it's going to be very, very difficult for us to make the case that having negative interest rates will somehow create a liquidity event when, by the way, we're facing down a demand problem with this coronavirus, how that's going to help us weather the storm. On top of that, I would just point to the fact that this has always been a very strange tension with President Trump, which is that in one hand, he's talking about how strong the economy is. And by all virtues, he should talk about the the reasons that the economy uh, has outpaced expectations. But in the same breath, he talks about cutting rates, which is typically what central banks do when the economy is struggling. You really can't have both. And that's a friction that he hasn't been able uh, to to create, uh, he hasn't been able to reconcile. Yeah, and, and just picking up on what you were saying earlier, that Kudlow should stick to what he's supposed to be doing and right. not getting into the realm of health. The issue for Trump is that he is kind of straight into, po- he's politicized this issue from the beginning. Yeah. You know, two weeks when this started emerging as a real concern, he blamed the media, uh, he blamed Democrats for stoking this up. This was uh, also echoed by his chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Now, he's backed off a bit from that, but then you get to this issue of like, how much, how objective is this information? How much can we trust? About, you know, as you say, he should be saying what Kudlow should be saying, which is, we've got a strong economy, we're ready for it. Yeah. Instead, people are wondering, well, is he just using this as a political pawn? Right. And so I do think there's opportunity here for the Trump administration to claim a win, which is that in these very divisive times, during Super Tuesday, when you see Democrats fighting against one another and a number of Democrats jumping out of the race, uh, President Trump could say, I got a bipartisan package through Congress. True. Yes, it's way different than what he, what he proposed, yeah. but yeah. it's still, I mean, billions of dollars in aid. And you're right. He's the steady hand, the leadership we I, need at a moment when when crisis seems a foot. I, 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 I mean, for what it's worth, I, I think, and I'm not, I'm not one of those media bashers who bashes the mainstream media. I don't do that. <laughs> but I do think you have, and, and we all do this, but I think you have to be able to divorce the politics from the policy. Mm. And up on Capitol Hill, as in every conversation that I've had on this, there is nonpartisan uh, response that has gone on with the $8.3 billion. The president didn't make it a wasteful spending argument. There was this conversation behind closed doors over the past several weeks that, okay, this is the money we need. This is going to come. And yeah, the cable fodder about you know everything else, which a lot of it's warranted, uh, is needed. More next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. After Wall Street nearly destroyed the economy, they came to Congress begging for a bailout. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. 
Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. And what I said then is if you want a bailout, go to your billionaire friends and get a billionaire. On the other hand, Joe Biden voted for that bailout. Bailouts and Bernie. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. That was Senator Bernie Sanders speaking on the campaign trail in Arizona Thursday night, drawing a contrast between now, I guess, the frontrunner, former Vice President Joe Biden. It's a two-person race. Then there were two. Sorry, There's Tulsi three. Gabbard. Sorry, Tulsi Gabbard. Maddie Dupler's here. Suzanne Lynch. Can Bernie Sanders do anything to, to cut ahead of Joe Biden? He can have an astounding upset in Michigan. Mm. Uh, you know, this now comes down to, I think, what the divergent view in the Democratic Party is on trade, right? Like, Biden is kind of the... He's the archetype of your moderate Democrat. He has voted for free trade agreements in the past. Sanders, of course, has a very clear, very populist, almost Trumpian view of globalism. Uh, but that works for his brand. So in places like Michigan, it's possible that that could have overwhelming success. Now, polling shows he likely will not. Uh, but I think really that's what the future of the Bernie campaign hinges yeah, on. Yeah, I think it's his last stand with Michigan. So we've got just so people are up to date on where we are in this race. We've got four states going to vote, holding primaries next Tuesday. Michigan is one of them. And as you were just saying there, like, he is, he was ahead. Sanders was well ahead in the state before the Biden bounce we saw of the last week. He won this state against Clinton back in 2016. And, of course, this was the argument of Sanders' people saying, you know what, if you had allowed us to go up against Donald Trump, we would have won in states like Michigan and Wisconsin. Now Biden is really creeping back here. They're both hitting Michigan in a big way this weekend. I'm going up myself on Sunday to attend a Bernie rally and I was just looking at his schedule there he's starting off in Grand Rapids he's then going to Ann Arbor trying to get that youth student vote out um, but uh, Joe Biden has already dispatched Amy Klobuchar his newfound supporter she's there today I think and tomorrow um, trying to tap into that I mean, Midwestern vote so look it's, a, it's one to watch on Tuesday Is it g- yes or no game over if Bernie loses Michigan Yes, game over. I think so too. I mean, you know so what? I mean, he'll, this is, he'll drag uh, it yeah. out because California will continue to count these votes, and he'll keep saying that he'll he'll be able to hold on. But he is he's a Abs- goner with that. Absolutely. Michigan. And one the bit there are two problems with Bernie Sanders. Number one is the map is more uh, positive for Joe Biden now. The states to come, you know, states like Florida, Georgia, are more Joe Biden territory. The second problem for him is that the youth vote has not turned out so far in the numbers he was promising. The vote has actually turned out more for Joe Biden. So if he cannot get that youth vote out, he could be in in trouble, I think. So Ariana, I said it yesterday, Ariana Grande, Cardi B, all the celebs came out for Bernie. AOC. AOC. Yeah. Goes to show that perhaps Hollywood does not have its finger on the pulse of the Rust Belt of America. And, you know, we all laughed, you know, three weeks ago, me, like everybody else was writing, I was hearing about all these Biden endorsements saying, you know, what what do endorsements mean? 
Maybe they do. Look what happened in South Carolina. Jim Clyburn endorsed Biden. Um, he, he he ran away with it. And then all of a sudden we saw other people like Klobuchar, Buttigieg lining up behind him. And these kind of endorsements from the Democratic establishment, maybe they do. And just work. like the youth vote has underperformed in a way that Sanders had not anticipated, perhaps. I want to return to this point about trade because there was some just mind-boggling data that I saw earlier this week that I tweeted about. Uh, from Gallup, the number of Americans who view the effect of foreign trade on the U.S., the percent to, the percent who see it as an opportunity for economic growth versus a threat to economy, has diverged in a huge way over the past decade or so. We've now got 74% of Americans who see it as an opportunity for economic growth. So that stands in stark no, contrast. I, wait, wait, let me come in here. Because, I, I mean, I hear it. Because... The biggest difference, I mean, you couldn't have a bigger contrast in a former senator from Delaware, which has, which the economic engine of Delaware are financial institutions. And so uh, he was an advocate for his constituency and job creation and contrasted with a self-described democratic socialist. And so on the issue of trade in particular, Maddie, you and I have talked about this over coffee. I mean, you could not have someone more different than establishment type of trade policies than Bernie Sanders. And so I'm very struck to see that this has not been as a divisive issue. Suzanne Lynch, Hmm. I've got to ask you. Yeah. You know, you write for the Irish Times. What do they think of all of our politics these days and the state of affairs? Okay, the entire world... Kevin is 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 interested in this country under the Trump administration, obviously because of such a maverick. Kind what do of they think of Bernie Sanders? Um, look, the American definition of socialism is very different than the European definition of socialism. <laughs> and Venezuela, we've been on that for a while. And Venezuela, so you know what he is saying is doesn't sound that radical to a lot of people in Europe. My country, Ireland, is actually quite to the right on a lot of economic issues. So you know, it's different. What part of Ireland are you from? Uh, near Dublin. But we we're talking about, we're talking about trade here. Say my country, Ireland, one of the most oh, it's a very small country. But, you know, we export tens of billions of worth of actual products to America every year. Pharmaceutical products. A lot of the U.S. companies are based in Ireland, taking advantage of a low tax rate. And, you know, it's interesting we're talking about trade here because, you know, getting back to our early conversation about coronavirus, this is where this is going to get messy in terms of global supply chains. People are going to start realizing the nuts and bolts of trade and how this economy works. Um, so, you know, when America sneezes, um, Europe, Ireland will catch a cold. We put you it can't that way. say that with the you coronavirus. <laughs> That's a wrong. Seizes into its sleeve. Well, let me, you know, I I mean, here's, I mean, I I was actually in New Hampshire the other week. I had that primary with Ambassador Daniel Mulhall, Mm -hmm. who, uh, of course, is the ambassador to Ireland uh, here in the the United States. And he was just saying, I mean, all of the uncertainty and volatility as it relates to trade is not unique to America. And so, I, I, you know, I know John McCarthy, who's with Biden World and another big Irishman here in the States. Yes, quite a few of them here. (laughs) You're absolutely right. People are wondering. I mean, when Trump came into office, there was a huge I was in state. I was in Brussels before I was here. There was a huge uh, concern about um, how he was going to hit the European Union uh, in terms of tariffs. What seems to have happened was and he was looking at this trade imbalance and the Europeans always say that's an imbalance in goods. It's not in services. That's the argument you're going to hear from the European ambassadors. But what seemed to have happened was He focused on NAFTA. He focused on China. So the fear now in Brussels and in the embassy here, the European Union here in Washington, is that the next nine could be Europe. And it's well-founded. It's Uh, well-founded for several reasons. One is that the Trump administration started off the year in Davos saying exactly that, right? They connected not just their own trade policies, but the European uh, countries' efforts to tax American tech companies. You had Secretary Mnuchin saying, well, if you're going to tax our tech companies, we're going to tariff your auto companies as a result. 
it, frankly, we've seen less movement than I expected because Agreed. I think of the coronavirus and yeah. the, the erosion Love of me. our other trade negotiations. But I think I agree with you that that's a big. Drive. I was talking about this with my colleague Craig Torres, who covers all this wonky stuff, and he's smarter than I'll ever be. Um, we were talking about this just the other day here in the newsroom, and I got to be candid. One of the concerns that I hear from both the left and the right is there doesn't seem to be a point person on the economic front in either in Congress for the Democrats and in the administration. And I'm not saying it as a criticism per se, but if I'm not also equating the coronavirus to the 2008 economic recession. However, during the in 2008, there was a point person. There was, you know, you had the, the gangs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it appeared bipartisan. There was disagreements as we just heard Bernie Sanders against bailouts, but there appeared to be this is the channel in which things are going to move. Do you think, Maddie, that markets are craving that? At least craving? 100%, yeah. Kevin. I mean, if you had an economic point person in the White House who could walk over, maybe and not walk, they can take group. an Uber, over to <laughs> the hill, right? It's, an, it's a mile walk. Walk over to the hill, have the cameras watching the coming together of leadership, even if they don't decide anything, right? right? right. It's just the act Look of what that happened kind with of the G7 consensus phone call. building. Exactly. I mean, the G7 phone call in this instance and in other emergency uh, Fed rate cut instances, that's always been the precursor is having just having the meeting. Having the meeting is important. It sends an important signal. We need more of that. Well, I and and also it it appears now that the that the market's being so hungry mm-hmm. and having such an appetite and the briefings that Vice President Mike Pence, for example, who just took the podium at the White House, these briefings are uh, there's there's an economic component to this and perhaps the economic ramifications, unfortunately, might actually be more detrimental than the scope of the health. Concerns, well, though, which are very serious. That's why I'm arguing we should keep them separate. Yeah. Have Larry Kudlow reassure the markets, but have the other the, the experts in the room talk about the health problems. All right, coming up, what's on the panel's radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.